You are now listening to the Girl on Book Action podcast. Now, with more speaking and less reading. This month, we're reviewing Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte and Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. Your reviewers are Doomwench, also known as Irene, and Wren, also known as Amanda. Not to break a streak, but we're here to talk to you about more ovary-laden literature. Next time, more men, we promise. We thought it would be nice to read a serious gothic novel, and then read another novel that makes fun of them. Yeah, yeah, Northanger Abbey was written way before Wuthering Heights, but this was the sort of thing Austin was giving a hard time. I am a ridiculous Jane Austen fan, and listening to me review one of her books would have been tedious and covered in drool. Instead, I opted for Wuthering Heights. I'm not nearly as over the moon about gothic novels. They typically seem a bit much for me, which I know is what they're going for, but I have trouble caring about characters who spend all their time fainting and running away from things. Weirdly, despite this, I'm really into Lovecraft. I was expecting an opportunity to get out my reviewing knife and take a few good hacks at a classic, but I started reading it and suddenly I was halfway through. I finished Wuthering Heights in two sittings that ended in me seeing the sun come up and hearing the judgment birds a-calling. For those of you who are unfamiliar, the basic plot is this. Mr. Earnshaw brings home a disgusting, cold-wrenched urchin from the big city and names him Heathcliff. Earnshaw's son hates the filthy peasant, and Catherine, the daughter, is strangely compelled. Catherine and Heathcliff fall into an obsessive love, but eventually she rejects him for someone who knows about bathing. Oh, and money. Someone who knows about money. Heathcliff begins a long, convoluted plan for revenge on his adopted family. Catherine throws a series of tizzies, and everyone ends up miserable and or dead. Well, I wouldn't say this wasn't overwrought, as we have a lot of doomed people dooming around, fainting and fighting and generally being ridiculous. Wuthering Heights completely mess with my expectations by being entertaining rather than irritating. Though we might consider novels high art now, back in the yesteryear of the 1800s, they were considered every bit as trashy as True Blood and other things that we find entertaining today. <clears throat> Not that uh, I would know anything about that. And while the Bronte novels are billed as being high art, they show their roots and remain very accessible. The only part I found difficult to follow was the family relationships between the characters. Given that it's olden times, you won't be surprised to learn that everyone sleeping with everyone else are close cousins. Ugh. Also, everyone is called by their last name, so we end up with a number of people called Earnshaw and Linton. I ended up having to briefly consult a chart to be 100% sure I knew who I was reading about. And in the notes on the blog, I'll put a diagram of the relationships of the characters so you can see the incestuous family tree as well. The characters are complicated and extremely mean-spirited. Sure, the ending of the book suggests that there will be happiness for future generations of the intermarrying cousins, but our original cast of characters are all hateful wastes of space who never learn to be better people. I can't stress how much I love the irredeemable Heathcliff. He's given chance after chance to be a nicer guy, but never lets go of his grudges. He persecutes everyone who's ever wronged him, even in the slightest, and after they die, he takes his remaining hate out on their children. Catherine is a vain tease and is substantially more interested in having a soft bed and everyone telling her how perfect she is than ever doing the right thing. She is entirely inconsistent, and she's never really punished for it. In fact, the worse she gets, the more everyone loves her. I kept expecting cheesy deathbed redemptions for our unlikely heroes, but they never come. The unrelenting hopelessness was a pleasant surprise when I was anticipating a pat ending. Wuthering Heights isn't what you think it's going to be, and I mean that in the best possible way. 
Don't be frightened off by the Penguin's classic cover. It's cruel even by today's standards, and I highly recommend you have a look. So yeah, last time we talked about wanting to include more men on the podcast. They write books too, apparently. Now, here we are talking about two icons of women's lit. Emily Bronte and Jane Austen. I came to Austen late, or later than most women who get into Austen in their late teens or early twenties and spend their time mooning over Mr. Darcy. Instead, I was reading Margaret Atwood and feeling angry. When I finally did get to Austen, it was because Amanda handed me a stack of her books. I started making my way through them, but only read a few. Northanger Abbey was one of those, and I enjoyed it at that time. When it came time to pick books for this podcast, we decided that I'd take Austen, since I'm less likely to say ridiculous fangirl things. Some others couldn't be trusted to write a non-drooling review. <clears throat> Not naming any names. If you don't know, Northanger Abbey is the story of Catherine Morland. She does what all young ladies of the time do. She goes to Bath to mingle and meet new people, which is to say, to look for a husband. There are a series of relationships, little misunderstandings, and a lot of overblown emotions on the part of Catherine. You see, she's read a lot of gothic novels and fancies herself a heroine. And this is where I start to have problems with the book. Or at least, the first, let's say, half of the book. It's entirely too self-aware. The narrator injects a lot of commentary into the opening section so that the reader knows it's a parody. And I felt that it was condescending, like Austin was implying that I'm not smart enough to understand that she's using the tropes of gothic romances in order to point out that they are ridiculous. In the later part of the novel, the narrator pulls back and just tells the story, so the commentary wasn't as distracting. Read, irritating. Issues of narration aside, Northanger Abbey is pretty funny. I especially enjoyed Miss Isabella Thorpe, Catherine's first friend in Bath, and how she's always chasing after the gentleman. She's self-involved, flighty, and prone to being overwrought. Traits I don't normally enjoy reading about, but somehow Austen made it work so that it was endearing. As an astute reader, I could usually tell that Isabella was full of it, and just trying to get a better man than whatever one she had at that moment. The fact that Catherine doesn't see through a lot of Isabella's manipulations made it even better. Another character I enjoyed was Henry Tilney, the main love interest. What I liked about him was that he always seemed to be smirking, like the whole parading around Bath thing to find a spouse was highly amusing to him. Honestly, he was way too good for Catherine, who is a bit naive, and aside from reading gothic romances, doesn't find reading or education for that matter, to be interesting or important. When Catherine finally goes to the Abbey, the story gets more engaging. Her first night there, where she freaks herself out over a cabinet and some papers, is hilarious. Reading the book is worth it for just this scene. And the narrator didn't have to inject snarky comments into this bit. It came off as a perfect parody. Which makes the opening half all the more frustrating. Clearly Austen could write this parody without the obnoxious narrator. I guess it's possible that the narrator is a product of inexperience. Northanger is one of her first attempts at novel writing, even though it was published way later. 
Overall, then, I still like this book. Maybe not as much as I remember, but tastes change. If you're looking for a start to Austin, Northanger Abbey is a good choice. And if you enjoy gothic romance novels, this book is definitely one you should read. Unless you don't have a sense of humor. The tropes it highlights and parodies make reading gothic novels more fun. At least for me. Personally, I feel the need to go track down the mysteries of Udolfo, which Austin mentions throughout. So, to make a long conclusion short, Northanger Abbey, despite its flaws, was an enjoyable read, and you should go pick it up. And now, for an erudite discussion. So, in between the reviews and the discussion, Irene's secondary mic blew up, and now she's recording from her internal laptop mic. So, if I sound horrible, I'm very, very, very sorry. You're not sorry. I think you chewed through that cord on purpose. Why would I do that? I could have electrocuted myself. You might have electrocuted yourself anyway. You could have died. I could have died. And everybody would have been sad. Except for me, because I would have been dead. You probably wouldn't have noticed. Probably not, no. (laughs) So, despite technical difficulties, we are still here. And we are now going to talk about these books. Um, first off, I'd like to say how deeply, deeply embarrassed I am that I love Jane Austen as much as I do. It is, um, a ridiculous cliche, and I apologize for it. And I'm right there with you because I don't like admitting that I'm a fan of the Brontes because it's also a cliche. Oh, you're girls, so you must like the, uh, Brontes in Austen. Yes, shut up, so what? Whatever. Yes, I like Mr. Darcy. I thought Heathcliff and Catherine were romantic. Well, at at least when I was 16, I did. Not so much now. (laughs) Now it's a bit gross. And really creepy and kind of scary, yeah. Also, everyone's related forever. Well, but Heathcliff technically isn't related to them. Well, there's sort of the implication that he might be a bastard child of their dad. Well, maybe, but maybe not. He might just be some random stranger he picked up on the way home. He might be, but there's sort of the implication that he might have, um, he, like, their dad might have been banging some chick in London. I guess. I don't like to think of it that way. Get, stop, stop turning this into I'm making it worse. So yes, I'm embarrassed that I like the Brontes. Not just Emily, but all of them. And the thing is, I hadn't really read a ton of the Bronte stuff, and I thought Withering Heights, I was going to be like, oh yeah, whatever, these guys are just going to be fainting and killing themselves and going crazy and walking through the moors, blah 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 blah. I thought it was going to be a real slog, and I really liked it. Oh. Would I, would I recommend something that you weren't going to like? Come on. Yes. <laughs> In an instant. Hey, I can see you just brain. steepling your <laughs> steepling your fingers over it and going, I had to read this and now Amanda does too. <laughs> no, more like steepling my fingers going, Ah yes, another person is going to enjoy the Brontes and be embarrassed with me. Ha <laughs> ha <laughs> Now I'm like looking and like, Oh, I guess I'd better read some of these movies. I'll probably like them. There was one of the Jane Eyre's that I quite enjoyed, but I don't remember which one. Well, I've got to read Jane Eyre next. I've got it on my shelf to read after I finish uh, 
doing a blog reading. And I liked um, The Tenant of Wildfell, Wildfell Hall. That one was pretty good. Less overall. Yeah, you said I that's like your favorite one now, yeah? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But I mean, it's been like eight years since I read it, so now I might have changed my mind. Who knows? But uh, no, I was I was really surprised how much I enjoyed Wuthering Heights. And the thing I think I liked the most about it was how unrepentant all the heroes were. They were just assholes the whole way through, and it didn't even matter. Yep, they were all jerks. And, you know, any one of them could have sort of said, hey, look, may maybe we shouldn't do this anymore like this. But no, they just all kept going. And Catherine is just, you know she's in love with Heathcliff. Heathcliff's the only one she really loves. But she goes after this Linton guy because he basically follows around like a puppy dog and he has a whole lot of money and can, can make sure that she has a comfortable life. And so she just chucks Heathcliff and goes after this other guy. And I also, I mean, I think you like the, whatever, the nurse. What's her name? Um... Oh, that's an excellent question. Maddie? Uh, I don't think it's Maddie. Whatever. Ellen? It, it, something. Something. Anyway, I didn't like her because I felt like she was always, always meddling. And if she just kept her damn mouth shut and her nose out of other people's business, things would never have gotten as bad as they did. No, because she didn't meddle when she should have meddled. Like, when something was, like, really happening, she just, like, was like, oh, well, it wasn't my place. But then when it was, like, a little thing, she was, like, all up in there and making things worse. Exactly. It's just like, and then you can't trust anything that happens because you hear the story from her. Well, I mean, really, we're hearing the story from her filtered through, um, filtered through the other guy, the tenant. Yeah, so there's like so many layers of unreliable narrative in there, too. But, no, I loved, I, I really kept thinking that one of these times Heath was, Heathcliff was going to look at the... The people that he'd wronged and gone, oh, you know, Catherine wouldn't have wanted this. I should change my evil ways. But he never does. Nope. He is like out an... for vengeance forever. He's like an old man who is still punishing uh, the dude who married uh, Catherine Linton, his sister. Uh, Heathcliff runs away with her and makes her just miserable and beats the ever-loving crap out of her and treats her like garbage. And <laughs> all because he doesn't care for Linton. And then... He goes on to do the same with their kid. Yeah, that whole thing with the way he treats his own kid was just terrible, but sort of amazing at the same time. Amazing that they would get away, like that she could write this in a book um, at the time and have it be published, because it's pretty awful. It is really, really, really awful. I was reading um, some of the reviews that came out for her novel um, at the time, and they just all talked about how it was a horrible piece of trash that was just making out making out that people were all evil and awful, and that was just unacceptable, and nobody got into it. It was amazing. Well, people are horrible. Maybe not <laughs> as horrible as Heathcliff, but... Um... Pretty bad. Speaking of pretty bad, Isabella. Yes, Isabella. <laughs> oh my goodness, she was awesome too. She was just chasing after the boys and she didn't even care. I love how unrepentant she was about uh, ditching Catherine's brother. Well then, just to be clear, there's two Catherines here. There's Northanger Abbey Catherine and then there's um, Catherine in Wuthering Heights. And there were multiple Catherines in w Wuthering Heights, which made it extra confusing. 
yes, a lot of the same named people in Wuthering Heights. But no, Isabella just um, treats all of her friends like garbage and just chase after, chases after men and all she wants is attention. A bit like Catherine in uh, Wuthering, actually. Actually, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I, I love that scene where, where um, Northanger Catherine wants to go on the walk with the Tilneys and then Isabella shows up with her uh, brother and Catherine's brother and they're all like, no, we're going for this carriage ride, and then they totally lie to her about oh. the Tilneys, and then, yeah, I love that whole part. Yeah, they just lie. They say, oh, well, they weren't going to go anway, so you might as well just come with us, and so uh, Northanger Cabby, Catherine's all like, okay, well, fine then, because I'll just do whatever you guys say, whatever. And then she gets so flustered and upset when she realizes that, you know, it was all a big misunderstanding. And that... That was actually something I kind of liked about um, Northanger Abbey was that the character didn't, like, it wasn't that awkward farce thing where somebody misunderstands something and it never clears up until the very end. She makes it makes a point of going and just clearing the air immediately. Yeah, well, mm, I still didn't like her. <laughs> well, she wasn't as she wasn't as interesting as any of the other characters, but. It was kind of nice, even though she was sort of silly, to have someone doing sensible things. You didn't exactly want to throttle her, even though she was fairly naive. Yeah, but the way she did the sensible things was really insensible. Like, she runs to their house and like doesn't even let the servant take her coat and just runs upstairs and goes, Oh no, it was all a misunderstanding! Oh no, oh no! And it's like, oh, okay, calm down, take a breath. Yeah, I don't think that really, I mean, Tilney, um, the, the hero in that, is pretty awesome. Like, he's funny, and he doesn't take any of this stuff seriously, and the the narrator uh, makes it pretty clear that the only reason he's interested in her is because it's, like, good for his ego that someone's interested in him. But uh, I liked him. I thought he was funny, and Catherine didn't seem really good enough for him. I know. He seemed like he was always smirking at stuff. And you know how I feel about a guy with a smirk. You feel pro. You're pro-smirk. I'm pro-smirking. And I'm, I'm, I'm pro-being amused by people around you. But um, both books had a lot to say about uh, the gothic heroine and the traditional gothic heroine. And um, Northanger, at its best, really um, was an excellent parody of those... Uh, the themes and the the things that come up over and over again in these uh, in these types of novels, but <clears throat> but you were right. Sometimes when the narrator was just telling you it was happening, it got a little frustrating. Yep, it was really, really, really frustrating. It was one of those, you know, that cliche show don't tell. Yeah, she did. She needed to do more showing and less telling. Well, the second half of the novel was basically all. Uh, showing where Catherine would get these ideas in her head about what was going on and uh, got herself all worked up when really it was nothing. That, see, that I really enjoyed. It's just the first part where she's setting it up and there's just so much telling and telling and telling. And it's like, okay, I get it. Jesus. <laughs> but I mean, this is also some early fourth wall breaking stuff where, I mean, it was a bit ham-handed, but um, that was not a common thing at the time to turn to the audience and say, hey, guys, this is what's going on here. But you're right, it was it was clumsy. Hey, didn't Shakespeare do that? Puck yeah, did he that. did. See? 
Yeah. Yeah, Chaucer did it too. Yeah, so she's she's not that um innovative. Later on, we do get a lot more uh we get a lot more showing. And one of the things that does get shown quite a bit is the whole um novels as trashy fiction at at the, the which was how they felt about it in the 1800s. And there's some, some ranting about that that the narrator does in the beginning. But later on Tilney talks about how it's fine. Just read novels. It's enjoyable. Anyone who says they don't, they don't is a liar. Yeah, maybe that's what I like about him. He likes to read, whereas um, Catherine is just like, well, the only thing I like to read is these gothic romance novels, which, I mean, those are fine, but um, you could read something else once in a while. It might be good for you. There are other things. Well, not according to her, because everything else is dreadfully boring. Doesn't she say about history that it's really, really dry and boring, and who cares? She does, but then she also sort of goes on to make a point uh, about she's reading history, and she's wondering what's happening to all the women in history. She's like, I know they had to be there, but um, we don't really hear anything about them. Yeah, but that seems to me more like um, Austin stepping in and speaking through her character than her actual character speaking. That's true. I did get kind of the feeling that she was like doing that, uh, <laughs> doing that a bit. So you love Catherine. I hate Catherine. Both of them, actually. Do you really hate um, Northanger? Ca- or do you really hate uh, Wuthering Heights, Catherine? Oh God, so much. <laughs> Tell me about your hatred. Oh, she's all. Oh. I'm so perfect. I love Heathcliff, but I married someone else. Feel sorry for me and love me more. (laughs) She does do that a bit. And she basically wills herself to death. I I do respect that. I mean, you know, I'm all for the whole willing yourself to death thing. But... mm. (laughs) It's just because people are a bit mad at her for being slutty. Yeah. Like, oh, how dare you think I'm acting slutty. Bleh. Well, I mean, maybe she should have married the guy that she was in love with instead of marrying the money. But she wanted the money. (laughs) But Heathcliff went out and got, like, a ton of money. And she had no way of knowing he was going to do that. Well, she's an idiot. (laughs) Yes, she is. But she never, uh, she was never punished for it. Nope. I mean, she, she willed herself to death, but she... You know, nothing bad ever happened to her. And she was never really sorry for it. Instead of, you know, saying, well, maybe I made a mistake, she just yelled at other people and made it their fault. Yep, she sure did. It's like, ah, (laughs) you're making me miserable, you're so horrible, I'm wonderful, tell me how wonderful I am. Tell me how much you love me. Do it now, or I'll will myself to death. Well, I'll will myself to death anyway, because things aren't going my way, damn it. Hey, but it was enjoyable. It was definitely enjoyable. I was not bored during it. Was surprised, because, yeah, like I said in my summary, I really, really thought we were going to have deathbed repentances and people changing their, their, you know, their evil ways, but we never, ever did. And it's sort of, I mean, there's, I guess, a happy ending in that some of the kids are going to be probably okay, but that's not much of a happy ending. Not really, no. Because nobody learns their lesson. It's all... They, they all just die. Yep, basically. They're evil until they're dead. 
And that's 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 pretty bold because I mean you don't get a lot of novels even now where all the main characters are basically douchebags who don't learn their lesson. Yeah, and it feels sort of like that happy ending is tacked on so the book could get published because if it had just ended with and all the evil people died and everything was horrible forever, it maybe you know nobody would have published it. And a lot of um, movie adaptations of uh, the the story just cut that out entirely because they're like, yeah, whatever. Just everyone dies. The end. That that would have been somehow a more satisfying ending, I think. I think so too, but I get why there was the tacked on happy ending. I mean, what else was she going to do? Let everybody be miserable always? Well, they basically were. All of the main characters were miserable always. Just these other people who you barely know who they are might be happy. Well, I guess that's acceptable. Then again, you know, Northanger has a happy ending too. Yeah, but all Jane Austen's books have happy endings. They're meant to be sort of happy romances. Although if you really think about the Northanger ending, it maybe isn't that happy. Well, Isabella doesn't get punished. She gets to go on and do what she does. Yep. And um, I'm not so sure about the Catherine-Henry marriage and how well that's going to work out in the long run. No, once the shine is off of it, and he then has a bit of a silly wife who he doesn't have anything in common with. Yeah, in the long run, maybe not so good. So I've just ruined that happy ending. There you go. Yeah, there you go. No happy endings. No Hooray. Happy endings, boo. <laughs> happy endings have their place. I just think they should be earned, not just handed out. I guess I can agree with that. But I prefer happy endings that come at such a cost that they're not really happy anymore. <laughs> Pyrrhic happy endings? Yeah, sort of. Well, we survived, but um, we're all irreparably I... broken. We survived, but I don't ever care to see you again because you remind me of my failures. Yeah, something like that. You know, happy endings, they're not really happy. The other thing that I really liked that was explored in Withering was the fact, the idea that love isn't such an amazingly great thing. It really brought out the worst in all the characters. Yeah, kind of. I mean, Heathcliff would be way less of a bastard if he wasn't in love with Catherine. I mean, he's, I still get the feeling that he wouldn't have been a great guy, but he probably wouldn't have spent his entire life on vengeance. Probably not, no. And that's something that I feel modern literature doesn't really get. The idea that this great, passionate, heart-beating, bloody love is not a good thing. That maybe, you know, maybe you should dial it back a bit there, buddy. And one of my favorite soapboxes, and I'm sure you've heard this from me before, and other people probably have as well, that uh, Romeo and Juliet, which is supposed to be, you know, the greatest love story ever told, my read on that is just not that it's supposed to be a great thing. It's supposed to be, look what happens when you let your passions run away with you. Everyone ends up dead, and your family hates you and is dead. Yeah, my example for that would be Penthesilea by Heinrich von Kleist, which nobody has read because it's, you know, a German play, but, um... It's sort of that same idea, love is madness, and, you know, if you let it get to you, you do crazy things. Like, Penthesilea kills Achilles and eats him, and then she forgets about it. And then when Well, she, because she was in love. Well, yeah, because she was in this mad haze of love and lust and whatever. And then when she remembers, she forges a dagger of words and wills herself to die. 
Love is madness. That's what happens when you let love get the better of you. Exactly. And I just, I don't see a lot of that in modern entertainment or, or even modern literature. This idea that love is the best thing ever and you should just do whatever it takes to be in love. I, I don't think that's very healthy. And I think um, guys in the 1800s and, and earlier on had sort of a better handle on that. Yeah, love is not always a good thing. Love in moderation, probably a good thing. Overwhelming love, eh, maybe not. Yeah, and and out of this like sort of parasitic relationship between those two, because they really feed off each other. Oh yeah, very much so. Good way, and sort of like a, the more the other suffers, the better it is almost. And like, there's some scholarship out there that I've read that says that one or both of them are vampires. Like, not like blood-sucking vampires, but sort of psychic vampires. Especially after Catherine dies, and he is all, you know, wrapped up in her ghost being around and all that stuff. So there's this idea that they're draining each other all the time. Which means this has all of your favorite things in it. Doomed love and vampirism. Yeah. No wonder I like the story. <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's, um... There is a real supernatural element to the story. We don't know for sure if anything's actually happening, but Heathcliff thinks that he sees Catherine's ghost all the time and that she's just waiting for him out in the moors. And uh, toward the end of the novel, he starts seeing her more and more, and that sucks the last the life out of him, and that's what finally kills him. That and being like really angry, like an angry prick. Yeah, like he stops eating because he can't eat because she's always there driving him crazy. Yeah, that was really effective. And again, we don't know if there's any actual supernatural element there or not. He might have just been losing it because he lived an entire life on nothing but bile and hatred and obsessive love. Yep. But there's a nice counterpoint in Northanger Abbey with that cabinet scene. Oh, which is amazing. Describe the cabinet scene, please. Okay, so... Northanger, Catherine, gets to the Abbey, and she's shown to her room, and on the way there, Henry had told her this story about a mag like a cabinet, and like, finding like an old manuscript inside it, and you know, the candle going out, blah 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 blah. So she gets there, and there's, there's, there's a, a cabinet. And so she's like, oh... Oh, there's a cabinet. I hadn't seen this before when I was in the room earlier, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just open it. And then the key sticks, and she's freaking herself out because there's, like, this, uh, like, really difficult lock to open. And then she opens it up, and then she finds some papers, and then <gasps> her candle goes out just as she's about to read the paper. And then she's freaking out all night long in her bed. She can't sleep. In the morning, she wakes up. And she looks at the papers, and it's like a laundry list <laughs> that someone had just shoved into this forgotten cabinet in her room, and she had spent all night freaking herself out. It was awesome, because it reminded me so much of these other, these other novels where it's like, oh, there's this mysterious thing, beware. Yeah, and, and then she <laughs> constructs this whole narrative about um, the Tilney's mother, because the mother died. And she constructs this whole story about how the father murdered her and is, or, or has locked her up somewhere and she's still alive but nobody knows. And it's just, it's so, so funny. 
It's that, like I say, the second half of that book is really, really good. As soon as we get to the Abbey and she starts just freaking out about everything. It's just amazing. Like, everybody should read that book just for that second half, especially if you've read other gothic romance books, because you will get such a kick out of it. It It's definitely very, very good. And actually, Irene, to bring up your favorite description, it's a bit postmodern. Mm. Wouldn't you say? I'm, I'm not even going to comment on that. Wouldn't you say it was just a little bit postmodern? Oh god, it's so postmodern, even though it was written before postmodernism was even a twinkle in anybody's eye. Wouldn't you say it was a postmodern feminist novel? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Next time I see you, I'll show you postmodern, and you won't like it. Oh no, you're gonna go postmodern on my ass. Yes, I will. <laughs> there will be no happy endings for you. There will be postmodern endings. Oh no, then I won't know what's going on. Oh, there's a reason that we don't read any modern literature. <laughs> I read modern literature I sometimes, I think. Margaret Atwood counts, right? I guess Margaret Atwood counts, but there's, we don't read a lot of it. I'm trying to think of the last modern lit book I read. I think the last one I read was that uh, Wild Sheep Chase. Oh, yeah. Which is fairly modern. I read some Murakami not too long ago. By that I mean sometime last year. That counts, right? No, it does not. Think of how many, um, like, olden times books you've read in the last year. Way more than that. Uh, yeah, I'm totally in touch with modern literature. So am I. Who says it we're not? <laughs> Definitely not us. We, we never said any such thing. Ah, uh, so much modern literature is just so far up its own ass. Ugh. Let's stop talking. <laughs> let's yeah, let's stop talking. Let's go back to the subject at hand. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about just briefly is um, uh, there is a, a gal online who does uh, comic, like uh, just an online comic strip. Uh, it's called Harka Vagrant. And she did this phenomenal uh, couple about um, Wuthering Heights, and we'll, like, we'll put a link to that in, in, the, in the blog, just so you can see it, because it really is very good. So, yeah, I think that sums up everything we have to say on this topic. So we've stolen about enough of your reading time for one month. We'll be with you again the last week of March, where we'll be discussing the unfortunately titled Beware the Night, a shapeshifter anthology edited by Katerina Sedia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at girlonbookaction at gmail.com or you can post comments on our blog, girlonbookaction.blogspot.com.